Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Procurement Innovation, brought to you by the Business Process Group of Georgia, as well as GoProcure. I'm very excited about our fall series. As you heard us last week, we're focused on diversity, inclusion, sustainability, top thought leaders that are taking us through the difficult issues that we face in today's marketplace and how we're solving them. And I'm very excited about our next guest. Elva Perea Gallagher has been a thought leader that I've known for a number of years, based here in my hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, who has been both a leader in corporate as well as the empowerment of women. She has spent well over 20 years in leadership roles in finance, in supply chain and sustainability at UPS on the board of a number of different women's organizations and driving Show Me 50, which is an amazing organization, which we're going to talk a little bit about, and recently was on our webinar dedicated to the impact of women in the pandemic. How are you doing, Elba? Hey, I'm doing great, Rod. Thanks so much for having me. I'm very excited. Anytime I can talk about equity, inclusion, diversity, especially today where sustainability is such a, a big theme. I love it. I love it. So I'm super excited to be here. Elba, there's so many different ways we can go, you know, and I, I appreciate it just for the audience. You may have also heard Elba was on a panel that we did uh, partnering with the, the Business Radio Group of Georgia, as well as University of Georgia Business School about a year ago. And I think the same, God, it's been two years, excuse me, that I keep forgetting about 2020 even existed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you kind of like miss a year, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. So I, I know when we talked last, the discussion was centered around women in pandemic and how, you know, there's been a disproportionate impact of both on women employees in corporate America and women entrepreneurs. And I know you looked at the data. I didn't know you've been looking at a number of things. I mean, it might be too soon since we last talked, but are you seeing any trends for the remainder of this year and going into 2022? Well, you know, I think that uh, the conversation has shifted to, okay, how did we do during the pandemic to what's happening you know, beyond the pandemic and how are women impacted? And we continue to see some challenges just recently, McKinsey and Company and Lean In issued their annual Women in the Workplace study. It just came out, I think it was September 27th. And they basically interview, um, you know, something thousands, 65,000 employees at um, 430 companies. They collect records on millions of employees and basically let the data speak for itself. And so what they're seeing is that although women have continued an improvement, incremental improvement in their leadership positions in the S&P 500, they're still short and worse. A lot of women are leaving the workforce. A lot of women are what they're calling downshifting. And especially women of color are significantly impacted through ongoing microaggressions that are happening. And so, um, you know, the state of women is really, it's kind of like hangs in the balance. And the challenge for leaders, all of us inside corporate America, is what can we do to be aware and then be true allies? There's another finding that many people think they're allies, but when you ask them what actions, actions they're actually taking, they're really not taking the actions that are needed. For example, you know, how often do senior executives have one-on-one -on -one conversations with a minority woman? 
And the numbers are startling that they're so low. You know, some black women, for example, report that, you know, they have never had interactions informally with a senior executive. And so those are the kinds of things we really need to step back, be aware of, and, and do more to close those ally gaps. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because we all take it for granted. You know, we're first focused on the safety of everybody during the pandemic, and we've been able to let people work remote. But you and I both know, you know, and I hate to say it, but the old quote unquote air quotes for anybody who's wondering what I'm doing here. Um, the old boys network in terms of uh, networking and building your career and moving up into that ceiling, you know, meeting in the water cooler, meeting over lunch, meeting for coffee, golfing or whatever else there is now, because we're in a decentralized environment where we're further remote and more than likely the executives aren't going to the office. And if they are, they're people who are the direct reports and one under are not going. So you get people who are probably further removed from that ability to grow, you know, and I, I, I know that, you know, we talked about this a couple months back, but are you seeing any potential scenarios to address that challenge? Um, I, I think it's really, it's really tough. Um, you know, I think what we've got to do is be intentional, right? So all of us in leadership positions is, you know, even I think Zoom's a great thing for showing people's faces or if they're not on camera, their names. It's like right in front of you, right? And so we ought to be asking, well, who's in the room, in the virtual room as it happens? And what have I done to invite others? Who's missing in this room? You know, that's another way. When you talk about innovation, you're like, well, the more voices and ideas and perspectives you have, the more innovative you're going to be. So we should be asking ourselves who's not in the room, right? And who should be here. So I think being more intentional, we just have to be just really laser focused on, on who's on my Zoom screen. And, and if the same people are always on, well, who else should be here? You know, who works for them? Who, what other departments have other people who don't think and look like me, who maybe, you know, could make us come up with better ways to solve this problem no very well said and i know i think that kind of dovetails into the organization that you're leading uh show me 50 you know i know when we talked about it a couple years back we're focused maybe more at the transactional level about gender equality and equity and now with the pandemic some of the old uh, microaggressions and those things have become more apparent um can you share with the audience a little bit about your organization and what you guys are doing and how they can best leverage the show me 50 organization sure you know what we're trying to do is provide resources to inform and inspire employees to speak up and to help their organizations close some of these gaps especially you know i call culture gaps where you know people may be afraid to speak but if we approach it in more of a collaborative way which is hey we want to attract and retain talent we know diversity is important. How can I help my organization? So we really focus on gender bias education, influencing transparency. So making sure that, you know, are all jobs post jobs, uh, you know, transparent, you know, what kind of development programs are they? Are we making all of our employees aware of them? There's also gender neutral flexibility, which is a known solution. And thanks to silver lining from COVID, we are more open now to flexibility. In fact, I think many people heard 
recently that PWC has come out and said that, you know, something like 40,000 of their employees are going to be able to choose to work permanently, remotely from anywhere. Um, so we do ha have some help on that, but it's a double-edged sword as we just discussed, right? If you're not being seen, then how are you going to move up in your career? It's going to require both leadership and employees to be more very intentional about their career. And then the last, the fourth part of the solutions of Show Me 50 is executive commitment. How can we influence our leadership to be more visible and verbal on their commitment to gender equity and to holding senior leaders accountable to the DNI within their own departments and their own functions? So, you know, we focus on giving uh, employees really both the motivation to act through the events that we do and then also the skills or the ability to really speak and influence change, um, especially cultural change. So those are the things that Me 50 does. And just as one example, Raj, I mentioned this report that just came out, the annual study on women in the workplace. So Show Me 50 is going to have a uh, a free webinar on um, October 26th. So if you go to the Show Me 50 website, which is showme50.org, it's right on the landing page. You can sign up and we're going to spend 45 minutes. We call it a power lunch to go through the study and really listen to women's stories. And um, of course, men are always welcome as well. So, but that's what we do. And we hope to inspire action and move the needle on equity in the workplace. And the the event that's taking place on October twenty sixth twenty sixth is I assume is it a Zoom session interactive it or is. is it a webinar? Okay, yeah, I think most we're still not going face yep. to face, but hopefully twenty twenty two. So we'll make sure that you know we're going to share it when we post the podcast, and also we definitely would like whatever material you have. We'll go ahead and get it out from our business process group as well as GoProcure, so that we can make sure that as many constituents, both women leaders as well as allies can attend this great session. Yeah. Hey, you know, Roger, let me, um, I, I love data, right? And I think it's great <laughs> when we can leverage data and let data drive decisions. One thing that's coming out in this, this study is about this post pandemic and the impact to employees at work is coping with this more complicated world and this in office versus remote working, right? So in the study, I'm gonna call out a few numbers that are interesting. They asked both men and women, what percentage would you like to work remotely at least three days a week, right? So how, what percentage of people wanted to work remotely at least three days a week? For all men, 57% want to work at least three days a week at home or, you know, outside of the office. And women, 67%. So, you know, that's a 10 percentage point difference between women and men in terms of wanting more flexibility. And then if you break it down between different kinds of women, women with disabilities, 72% want to work from home, black women, 70%. And, and one of the reasons they're saying is that these minority groups have more microaggressions that they have to deal with, right? And so during this time of being away from the physical office, it has been somewhat, um, Wonderful. I read a story where black women were saying it's like been such a relief of stress because when they're in the office, they go through so many microaggressions. Um, so that's just a, a couple of the facts that employees really do want more um, remote working for their own mental health sometimes. Oh, my goodness. That's so sad to hear that, you know, especially in 2021. We know we have a long, 
long way to go. But that's disappointing because in one way you're losing the ability of face-to-face and networking and moving up the corporate ladder. But because of the basic foundation of racism and a lack of respect for your fellow workers, they feel more comfortable at home. And also I'll say this as a man that the men are lying, that 57 number is much higher. They're just, (laughs) I can say this, they're playing a game because they want to make certain that if other people are reading, like you've heard those uh, stats that have always been done, that men are more open. uh, If their resume is, if a job application comes out, and even if they only have five of the 10 things, they feel more confident going into an interview, even if a woman has 95% of it. It's just, yes. it, it, is, it is a surreal statistic, but it is a real thing. I mean, you know, I think from a very young age, men are coached to, okay, just go ahead and jump in the deep end. It's not so much sometimes a sexism thing, but just go ahead and jump in the deep end. And I think that 57% number is born in the fact that, hey, if I put, a uh, higher number, my employ, my executive team's going to look down upon me. That's just my two cents. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, uh, I know it. It is. Yeah. I agree with you. It is disappointing that we're going to, you know, have sort of because we can't figure it out. We're forcing people to essentially leave the workforce and, you know, maybe miss out on, you know, accelerating in their career faster. No, and that's the thing that, you know, we have to figure out as nonprofit uh, thought leaders how to best help, you know, especially women of color, uh, women in general, entrepreneurs, women employees, women who are sole breadwinners at home with children. And that's the other part. I mean, as we honest, I think because of COVID and if you have children at home and because of contract tracing, you can go to school and bring them home. They might have to be home for 10 days. So there's that other level of stress that's mitigated by being home. I'll admit it. I'm actually the one that's home almost all the time in my house. My wife works in the medical uh, uh, you know, capacity. So she's always in the ICU or in the hospital. So for me, there's a level of stress that's minimized because in case my child has to come home because of COVID. So I think mm-hmm. you know it's interesting how these numbers play out. So what, what are some of the other ways that, let's say that I'm in an organization, I want to leverage Show Me 50, and I want to go to my leadership and find out that do they have the correct blocking and tackling? Am I going to HR? Am I introducing you to HR? How am I best leveraging your services while I'm at corporate America? Yeah, you know, oh, I have to t- make a, a, a plug for BRGs or ERGs, Employee Resource Group, Business Resource Group. That is one of the great ways that we can influence. And my friend, Jeffrey Tobias Halter, I'm going to have to send him this link when you, when you post this. Um, you know, he makes the case that employee resource groups or business resource groups are a great way to influence culture change and improvements in the talent management systems, which are currently biased. They absolutely are biased. They don't post all the jobs. They don't clearly identify all of the selection criteria, development programs, et cetera. And he's right. And, you know, we had a frank discussion about it because my point of view is, you know, it's not enough. The BRGs alone cannot make the difference, but they do help. They absolutely help. So the best way to get involved is I would love to work with BRGs. We, Show Me 50 runs what are called Lean In Circles. Cheryl Sandberg started the Lean In program. And um, we are a network leader, which means that we are one of the, you know, um, 
focused groups from Lean In, so we can work with your ERGs, not just the women's ERG, but um, all ERGs. We can bring in a program that's called 50 Ways to Fight Bias, which is a fantastic way and very scalable and pretty much low cost. Frankly, it's free. <laughs> I just help you figure out how to use it. Um, we also can do what I call lunch and learns. We name them power lunches, where we can talk about these methods and ways to improve allyship, to improve um, information and statistics so that your workforce is informed on you know, the facts, the facts around um, information. Here's, here's a quick example, Raj. A lot of people don't really understand what microaggressions are, right? So we can talk about, hey, these are examples of microaggressions. I'm gonna kind of just show a few to you because a lot of times we don't know what that means. It's like this catch-all, right? It's things like being interrupted or spoken over more than others, having your judgment questioned, having others comment on your emotional state, Raj, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a Hispanic woman. My English is perfect because I came over as an infant, so you know, that has given me some cover, I suppose. But, um, but I am brown. I'm Hispanic. And so here's some things that sometimes happen that we overhear insults about our culture or people like us. That is a microaggression. Um, you know, hearing people express surprise at your language skills or some other ability, feeling that you're expected to speak on behalf of all of the people of your identity, right? People think just because I'm Hispanic, oh, well, you know everything about Latinos, you know. Things, things like that are, are small microaggressions. And then the other example of helping employees and your workforce become more informed is understanding allyship. That's another catch-all phrase that gets thrown around and people don't really understand, well, what is allyship? So I'm gonna give you a couple of statistics here. When, um, White employees are asked if they consider themselves to be allies to women, women at work, um, color, women of color at work, 77% say they are, you know, hey, I'm an ally. But then you start asking, well, do you do this? And then watch how the numbers fall. So then you ask them, okay, well, do you advocate for new opportunities for women of color? Only 21%. Do you actively confront discrimination against women of color? 39%. Do you give credit to women of color for their ideas and work? 43%. Um, do you educate yourself about the experiences that women of color have? And then lastly, that one's only 45%. And then this is the best one. It's the simplest one we can understand. Do you mentor or sponsor at least one woman of color? 10%. So only 10% white people in corporate America and this study of, you know, millions of employees sponsor a woman of color. So if anyone asks me, well, what's one thing I could do? It's like, well, do you have a woman of color anywhere near your organization? Can you get to know the person? Can you help her, mentor her, teach her the ropes? That's what I suggest. No, I, it's a very startling numbers, but I, maybe that's not the correct word. The numbers are disappointing, but they're, you and I both know they're not shocking for everything that we've ever seen. So I think I love your last point about the mentorship. You know, you have to get out there and mentor entrepreneurs, women, women of color entrepreneurs, as well as women in the corporates to give them that opportunity. Because traditionally, you know, the mentorship, even there, you see that 
mentors and mentees usually came from a similar type of roadmap in their careers as well as their culture. I mean, I've seen that working in large organizations myself, and it's nobody's fault. It just happens that way. So somebody needs to address that when they're setting these things up. So kind of dovetailing, you know, we're talking about women and entrepreneurs and women executives. Uh, one of the companies you work for here in Atlanta that uh, recently named a very prestigious person to their CEO, Carol Tomei. Oh, my gosh. I cannot and, even tell you how excited I am. Can I just, just because you open the door, I've got to tell you my story. Okay, Carol go tell me. Carol Tomei. Go ahead. Carol Tomei is so amazing. And so in case you want to read more about how excited I was, go to my LinkedIn. And it's actually one of my flagged favorite posts. I wrote a, a, you know, a little blog on LinkedIn talking about the day that she was announced as our CEO. And I, I just was beside myself. So i they told us that it was going to be announced as a presentation and you could go down to the cafeteria and it was going to start, I think it was at nine o'clock. So I got there at eight 30 and sat on the front row, you know, before anybody shows up, because I wanted to make sure I was going to have a front row seat to see a woman named as CEO of our great organization. Who's had all men CEOs for, you know, our last, whatever, at that time, 112 years, I guess. So um, it was amazing. It was amazing. And she's doing an amazing job in every kind of way, so inspirational. And I'll tell you that on the day she officially took over, it was June 1st, um, and I guess that would have been 2020? 20, 20, yes. Yeah, because it's been a year. It's, it's been over a year since she became CEO. Um, that was the week or two before was when George Floyd had been killed. And yeah. so her first day, it was unbelievable. So they had already recorded her, you know, welcome message and she added a part to it about just being so devastated by what had happened but what was beautiful about carol's approach is she's all about action and getting results so she said to all of us we have to turn our anger into action and so quickly i'm i mean this makes me so proud ups created what's called the equity justice and action task force and they went into full gear, did so many amazing things, and um, I'm so proud of that. And it really helped us um, really modify and change our culture in, in a year. I, I really, I can't even say enough about it, but I'm so proud of that. So, yes, I work for the company where Carol Tomei is our CEO, and he's amazing, and the company's amazing. So, small world story. I did see the picture for full disclosure. I think it was last year of you, Carol, and was it uh, Mr. Abney? Yes, With David, David Ab Abney was David the former CEO. Oh, yes. Well, that was that day, and I just couldn't believe it. And I like, and I, and then everyone was down there. You know, yeah. um, UPS um, employees at our corporate office. I want to say we probably have almost three thousand employees. Well, there yeah. was a ton of them down there oh. to see this monumental thing. So even further, small world. I'm going to date myself. So when I left GE which was 150 years ago, it feels like. <laughs> I uh, joined Metasys Large Tech Firm in Atlanta, and one of their clients at that time was the Home Depot. And my background, and we're going to get into it, is procurement, sourcing, supply chain, diversity, logistics. So that's the area I've been in for almost 30 years. So uh, we had to do an overview of a procurement service that we're offering to Home Depot. And lo and behold, the very first person I meet was Carol. Tomei because wow. she was actually 
the executive champion of the procurement work that we were doing at that time about <laughs> 16, 17 years ago. So got a chance to meet her and then uh, it, it's a small world. So uh, it, I'm very excited that UPS made that opportunity. You know, Carol's done some amazing things. I know she serves on a number of boards. So if anything else, she gets to be a model of what can happen for women in, uh, you know, corporate America as well as boards. So let, let's, as we're talking now about UPS, you know, we talked about the nonprofit that you've been involved in, but, you know, you've held roles within finance, control, you have a background in supply chain, and now you're working in sustainability. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, your career path and what you're currently doing in terms of sustainability and how it even impacts, uh, you know, the equity side of the shop? Oh, I can't even... We would need an hour to talk about how excited I am and how much I love my job. So, you know, my whole career was in finance, 24 years until I came over here in January. And I think this job is just meant for me. It's called Director of Stakeholder Engagement. And so I'm able to talk the language of business because of my finance background. And it really makes a difference to build the bridge between our operating function and you know how we run the business and what sustainability can you know how it can create value so i love it and you know sustainability is about e s and g environmental care social responsibility and governing ethically so you know it's how are we treating the environment our people and the rules, right? How are we treating our shareholders and, um, and really creating value for not just shareholders, but for all stakeholders, which includes on the social side, our employees, you know, equity, um, certainly in our communities. So it really, it's a great fit for me and I'm just super excited. And right now sustainability is so important. Investors are really focused on putting their money in organizations that are healthy for the long term. And that means they have to be doing ESG, right? If you want to be a, a company that lasts for a long time, you need to treat your people right. You need to not corrupt the environment and you need to uh, manage your business ethically. So I, yeah, it's, it's a wonderful time to be in sustainability and I'm super excited to talk about it. So with the sustainability and your inclusion and your equity background and the show me 50, um, I, I know sustainability, you know, focuses on the, the health and wealth, you know, the health and excuse me, not the health, but the long-term care of what we're doing for our companies as it is in the environment. But how does the equity, if you can give us an example of how it's also impacting the equity side of the shop of what you're involved with. Of course. So when you think about, I like to think about sustainability by breaking it down into the ES and the G, right? And so when you think about the S, which is socially responsible, it's all the ways that we should be responsible. For example, when it comes to employees, are we, you know, is our compensation program fair? Are we, you know, following human rights, um, you know, responsibilities? Are we being transparent in things we do with our employees? Are we providing them opportunities to be able to, you said not wealth, but it is wealth, right? Are we providing people what they need to be secure in their lives, whether it comes from money or from, you know, mental health, et cetera? You know, are we providing 
benefits that are fair and accessible. So it's, to me, it's all about, you know, doing right by people is how I think about that. And so equity is absolutely in there. In fact, when we use icons to depict what the S stands for, we have an icon that's, um, it's a, you know, it's a balance like justice, right? It's um, making sure that things are fair and equitable. So you've been involved in so many different thought provoking and I would say actually so many exciting areas that you're helping. Where, where do you see your career? I know that uh, if you could probably work for UPS for another 25 years, you would. But, <laughs> but where do you see, you know, now that you've got the sustainability uh, stakeholder engagement, where do you see this taking you and what's on the, the, the landscape for you next? Yeah, there's so much work to be done in the sustainability space. If you think about just the nature of the goals that are being um, that are being publicized right now, it has a land, uh, it has a runway of up to 2050, the year 2050. Okay, Rod. So we should be getting scared <laughs> when we hear that number. <laughs> you and me, right? It's like, oh, that's kind of that's kind of far away. I'm not um, working till 2050. I, I don't know if you're working till 2050. <laughs> no, no, exactly. But one of the things about ESG and what what sustainability really means is that you are leaving the world better for the people that come after you, that you're not consuming all the resources, that you're just using enough for what you need today and preserving so that the people after us can have equal access to this wealth and health and, and the planet, right? And so um, since we're talking 2050, there's a long runway. So my career path is really now focused on sustainability and what can I do to help UPS create value? And then outside of UPS, what can I do to create value for, um, for women and people in minority groups who do not have a level playing field? You know, what can I do to influence change in large corporations to work on those four solutions that Show Me 50 talks about? Gender bias education, transparency, gender neutral flexibility, and executive commitment. And so really, I've got my work cut out for me because the numbers for women in leadership grow about one percentage point a year. And so uh, even in this latest report, okay, so we, you know, we've changed a little bit, but not much. So just so you know, right now, um, when you look at all of the, the companies that were in this study, 24% of women are in the C-suite versus 48% of women were in the workforce at entry level. So between entry level being nearly half of the workplace at these companies, to the time you get to the top, it drops down, right? So that's, that's what we got to fight and what we got to really, it's, it will help companies if they were more diverse at the top because they understand send their customers better if your customers can be represented by your leaders. Great point. That's something, you know, I stress and, you know that on, in, in the Go Procure world, one of the things that we're greatly focused on more than ever in, in the supply chain is how to bring more women, uh, minority uh, businesses to the table, women of color, women in general that can participate in the global supply chain. And one of the things I always tell corporates that we do business with is, hey, your customers have changed drastically in the United States 
and even exponentially outside the United States. So when your customer base is made up of 55% is women, and then you're taking a look at closely moving to a number of 40 to 50% plurality of people of color, yet your supply chain is not even 5 to 10%, that number, that's a broken model. That is you because you learn from your suppliers how to better serve your customers, you know, and uh, as, as, as a supply chain fellow CSVP as you are, you understand that very well. Mm. And it's something I think you and I will have to talk offline because we have made a conscious effort to work with some nonprofits and NGOs this year. Go Procure has to make sure how do we address these very large stakeholder goals that a lot of businesses set forth after the George Floyd incident, right? And simultaneously, mm-hmm. a lot of African-American, Hispanic, and Native American businesses went under. So you got these high goals of billion-dollar roundtable, yet there's no model to get them there. How are you going to do it? And just like you said earlier, are you mentoring people internally? Are you mentoring your suppliers? How do you do all that? So there's a lot of work that has to be done, but at least for the very first time, I feel like people in corporate America at the C-suite are identifying these issues. Yeah, I think you're right. So Elba, you know, I know we're nearing the end of our podcast. You and I could talk to you for the next couple hours, but I don't <laughs> think, but I, but I think that we want to be judicious to the people that are listening to our podcast. Yeah. So what, what is one, you know, if I, let's say that I am first, I'm going to come from this from a standpoint, if I'm a women entrepreneur or a woman that's looking to help her career in this environment, what should she do tomorrow? I would tell you, you have got to find yourself an outstanding mentor who can also guide you with finding a sponsor. So, but it has to be a quality mentor that is really showing you the kind of ropes you can't get other, other ways. So you've got to find a great mentor. I just found a new one and he's amazing. And he's teaching me some things. I'm like, where have you been my whole life? I could have already been the CEO if you had told me all these secrets. <laughs> so that's my number one thing. Find a high quality mentor. And you want to go ahead and plug the event that's taking place later this month again? Yes. And people can go to my website, showme50.org. It's right on the front and it's the women in the workplace study. Um, and that'll be October 26th. And if I could just do one more thing, Rod, this isn't, this is going to be, I love actions, right? Cause I'm action oriented too. And I want to see results. So if people don't know where to begin, if you don't know what to do, there's this great list that came out from an organization called the CEO action for diversity and inclusion. And I'm going to tell you that if you go to the show me 50 website and you go to the resources tab resources menu, Scroll all the way to the bottom. There's an infographic, and it's called Eight CEO Actions Infographic. And I'm going to read you these eight things, and then people can get the details themselves. But these are eight things that all leaders can do, men, women, and it doesn't matter. You're not trying to find women. You're simply trying to create a more inclusive organization. So number one, be open. Don't let one shining moment or one speed bump sway your opinion forever about a person. Number two, look at all evidence objectively. Play your own, devil, your own devil's advocate and seek out contradictory views, 
right? You mentioned earlier, we find people like ourselves. Well, that's a problem, right? Number three, slow down your thinking, ask questions and bring in other perspectives to expand your point of view. Number four, share the why behind your decision. This helps you double check your objectivity, especially when you're choosing people or selecting talent. You better share why you're picking person A over person B. That checks us in our um, biases when we have to explain to others why we're choosing someone. Number five, don't make assumptions based solely on fit. Make decisions based on examining skills and supportable objective criteria. Number six, examine your network, who's in it, who's not. Don't unintentionally include, exclude people who aren't like you. This goes back to what I said about on Zoom, who's in your meeting, why are the same people there all the time? Examine your network. Number seven, open the door to your inner circle. Invite others with different experiences and perspectives. And number eight, encourage ideas. It's one thing to give someone a seat at the table, but it's another to give them a voice. Make sure that you're fostering people to share their ideas. So there you have it, eight actions, and you can find it on the website. That is fantastic. We're going to have to post that along with the podcast. Elba, it has been it is time has gone by way too quickly. I say that every time we connect, I know, you know, I mean, it, it was a fantastic and, you know, I will be reaching out to you offline, obviously on so many great things. Cause I think there's some value that we can bring to the market together. And for everybody who is listening, please, please go to show me 50, uh, Elba's, dot org. Uh, dot yep. org. Thank you. And you can also find Elba on LinkedIn to f- learn more about her unbelievable background, how she's driving sustainability and, in- and stakeholder engagement at UPS while she's doing the CEO for show me 50 and involved in so many other nonprofits. And I also forgot to mention a supply chain expert and a Wharton grad <laughs> all around Elba who, who, who just told us she's going to work for another 30 years. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Rod. Well, thanks. It's been great. Thank you, GoPreture, Go for giving us this opportunity. And um, yeah, onward. That concludes another episode of the Procurement Innovation Podcast. We'd like to thank our guest, Elba Preya Gallagher, the CEO of Show Me 50, as well as an executive at UPS. We'd like to thank our sponsors, the Business Process Society of Georgia and GoPreture. We look forward to having you all join us in the upcoming weeks as we continue to take a look at innovative ideas within procurement, supply chains, and diversity. Thank you.